Hello and welcome to the Revive Church podcast. It is so good to have you join us today. At Revive Church, we want to help people find life and purpose through Jesus Christ. And we really hope this message helps you do that. Whether you are listening to this at gym, in the car, or maybe you're just at home, we hope this message inspires and encourages your walk with God. Enjoy. Hello, hello. You know what? I don't take it personally that last week when Roxy preached, she got way bigger applause. I get it. It's cool. It's cool. Sit down. Uh, welcome. I'm not a victim in any way, shape, or form. Uh, good to be in church. Uh, and wow, worship was absolutely fantastic. I loved it. I loved it. I loved the beginning. Um, I always think when you, when you come, and for those who are here uh, for the first song, man, just what a build. No, no, like what a build up it goes through. And you've got to realize worship is a journey where we start with praise. Scripture teaches that it is through praise we enter into the into God's courts, which with thanksgiving, so that we can worship Him. And I just I absolutely love it. What a privilege! Um, and on your seats, you've also got an end of year program. Okay, so you can see what's happening every single Sunday between today. You've got it. Thank you. Uh, every single Sunday between now, uh, not now, the 27th and the uh, 9th of January, 8th of January. So uh, please take that home. Put it on your fridge. Put it in your calendar. For those of you who, if it's not in your calendar, it doesn't happen, please put it in your calendar, uh, some good stuff that is happening um, in the next couple of weeks at church. And uh, yeah, so um, what a great opportunity. What a great privilege it is to be in church today, and uh, I'm going to be be preaching a message that I've entitled "Conquering Unbelief." All right, we're conquering unbelief today, and so uh, we're just going to open up in prayer, and then I will dive into the message. Father, thank you so much that we get to be in your house. God, there is no greater place to be than to be with your people in your presence. Father, we just right now surrender um, surrender challenges to you surrender anxiety to you. We surrender distraction to you. And Lord, I pray that this morning, in the next four hours of this message, you would reveal to us your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 I'm glad you guys are packing the sense of humor today. Amen. Wait, you're ready, my friend. You're ready. Four hours. The other service is going to come in, just makes them feel comfortable. But today I'm speaking about conquering unbelief. Because the thing is, you can be a Christian for all your life and still battle with unbelief. You can go through seasons where your faith is high, and you can go through seasons where your faith is low. This is not just a problem that's unique to an individual. That's pretty much the human condition. We all face it from time to time. But you know what? I'm not, I'm not one of those people who get very insecure about unbelief. I actually think unbelief is really, really healthy for us. Do you know why? Because God always takes us to the edge of our faith and says, take one more step. Because it's when we encounter unbelief that our faith may grow. Unless you take steps out onto the water, unless you take steps out into the unknown, unless you take steps to the edge of your faith, your faith cannot expand for more. Because God wants to grow our faith. We didn't come out of the womb with great faith. We actually come out with unbelief. We we come out with this with a sense of I I don't really know who God is just yet. Then we encounter God and we have faith for salvation. And then and then our faith grows. We faith our faith grows to the point of where we actually we like maybe start tithing or we start serving or we start um, sowing in kindness and generosity. We, We our faith grows. 
And why it's so important for us to conquer unbelief, though, is because everything that God wants to do in your life requires faith. Faith accesses the promises of God. It's when you, you know, that the miracle of plumbing, you know, when you open up the tap, water actually comes out. Unless you open the tap, you're not drinking anything. You're not watering your garden, nothing. It's the same way with faith. Faith is the tap that accesses the grace, the power, the, the, the promises of God, which is like the water. So if you don't have faith, you cannot access the things that God actually wants to reveal to you in your life. Because here's a, here's a nugget, that without faith, it is impossible to please God. The first step of faith you need is actually believe that there is a God. And in today's age, that's a huge faith step. And so today we're talking about conquering unbelief. And so the passage I'm going to take us to is in Genesis chapter 18. We're going to look at briefly the life of, uh, of Abraham and Sarah. We're going to look at their journey of, of conquering unbelief. And I've got a few points to share with us today about how we can conquer unbelief. I don't, I don't think I'm going to get to them all because I've got 26 minutes. But you guys are with me, amen? Okay, good. Genesis 8, I, I told my wife, she said I must preach with a chair. I can't preach with a chair, I told her. And so anyway, <laughs> God is good all the time. She's not here right now. She's upstairs. Don't tell her, huh? Genesis 18, verses 9 to 15. So what's happening in the story is that uh, Abraham, he's sitting at the entrance of his tent. Now, Abraham lived in a desert, okay? So it wasn't like he's living in the Middle East. So he's sitting in the shade in the heat of the day, and what he sees coming towards his, his tent is three people. Now, we know from the Scripture that those three people are angels and might quite possibly the Lord himself. And so he sees them, maybe not recognizing them as divine, but he sees them, and hospitality is such a huge a uh, huge um, value in ancient culture, and I think we should bring hospitality back, amen. You need to open your house for a life group, amen. Just looking around, all these people saying, yes, life group in my house. But hospitality was a huge cult. So he goes to them, he runs to them, he seats them down. He says, listen, can I quickly get you something to eat, something to drink? He washes their feet. He brings the best food out, brings all the, I don't know, the cheeses and the milk curds and all the stuff out, refreshes them. And this is what happens next in the story. They know that culturally Sarah wasn't with them in their, around their meal, but she was close by. And so this is a bit of a rhetorical question. But it says, that these three, they ask him, where is your wife Sarah? And then Abraham says, they're in the tent. Then one of them says, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now, Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old. Just to let you know, they were, he was 100 years old having this conversation, and his wife at 90 was still eavesdropping. <laughs> and it says that Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself. As she thought, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, 
Will I now have this pleasure? Because they've not had children. She's been barren for 90 years. Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I am old? Just to let you know, God's always hearing your thoughts. For some of you, that's scary. In fact, for all of us, that's scary. Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, yes, you did laugh. <laughs> hey, how many of us, when, when you get caught out, you're on defense already, and you're just stringing lies together to just try and keep it together, but you can't fool God. You, you definitely can't fool your family. But this is an incredible story that's happening here because this is not the first time that God gives Abraham and Sarah this promise. He's given it repeatedly throughout Genesis that you will have a child and you're going to have, and nations are going to come from you. Sarah's going to be the mother of nations and kings. And Abraham, your offspring will, out, will be as, as vast as the stars in the sky and the, the, the grains of sand on the shore. And it's incredible that God gives them this promise when they haven't even had children. He's got lots of slaves, he's got servants, he's got slaves, he's got people that are, that are part of his group, he's got shepherds, he's got all this, but he doesn't have any children. And so one day, Sarah and Abraham figure, you know what, they're just going to help God to, to produce this answer to prayer. And they're going to have a child. And so Sarah says to her slave, Hagar, which is like the maidservant, says, okay, go marry Abraham, have a, children, have a child, and that child will be mine. And so they, they try to do it in a natural way. But that's not how God works. And so God comes again to them multiple times and says, you will still have a child through Sarah. You can kind of understand why she laughed, right? Why she, and it wasn't like, ha ha, yes, this joy will be mine. She's like, <laughs> I'm 90, God. Don't you know how difficult it is to have a child at 90? Now you think, oh, this is Old Testament. This is fine. People lived long. Yeah, not that long. At 90 years old, who wants to be raising their child? Going through childbirth. Amen. Listen, if men were giving birth to children, population control would not be an issue. We do not have that kind of pain threshold. But at 90 years old, she's, she's past the age of childbearing. She, she can't have kids. So it's like, God, that's nice. Maybe that'll make a nice bumper sticker, something I can pray into. But like, you can understand how impossible that is. So I read this. I didn't even criticize Sarah. I'm like, yeah, absolutely. And by the way, just one chapter before, Abraham also laughed. He's like, God, are you serious? It's impossible naturally. So she laughed. She scoffed. And it's the reasonable response because it is impossible to do that. It's like when we look at natural things and then all of a sudden God says, I'm going to do something supernatural. You go, cool, God. That, that's, that's cool from Bible times. And trust me, it wasn't, they didn't have kids for a lack of trying. If you just keep reading, Abraham, he was, he was a frisky fellow, hey? He had a few wives at the, after Sarah died, and, and they all had lots of kids. He, 
he, he didn't stop trying. I give that to him. At 100, and she's at 90, they're still pursuing the promises of God. Amen? <laughs> Don't tell me intimacy can stop in your marriage. I'm amazed that they, they still continue to try. You think you'd be spent, but no, they, they had it in them. But having a child was their greatest desire because that's how the family line would continue. That's, that's who Abraham had this one prayer. He said, God, did you give me all of this wealth so that I could pass it on to a servant? And God's like, no, I'm going to give you a son. Having a child, having a son was a huge thing in ancient culture. It still is today. It's, to have your own child is still a huge desire for many, many people. But for them, they spend their whole life trying. And can you imagine the bitter disappointment where Sarah's facing right now? Everything she's hoped for, her life hasn't turned out the way she thought. She has all the material wealth. She has as many servants as she could possibly hope for. But the deepest desire in her heart was still unfulfilled. And she was 90 and past the age of childbearing. And it was impossible. And yet God speaks to her there. It was too late. It was too late for her to have kids. It was too late for this promise. God, could this promise not have come when I was like in my 40s, in my 50s, before the age of childbearing was gone? Could, could, could you not have fast forwarded this? This message might find you today and say, it's too late for my ministry. It's too late for my marriage. It's too late for my career. It's too late for the dreams that I've had all my life to come to pass. It's too late. I'm beyond it. I'm old. I'm, I'm gray. I'm, I'm, I'm tired. I'm worn out. But what I find incredibly amazing about God and about this text is that it is in our lack and deficiency that the promise of God finds us. It's the very thing that they couldn't do that God promised them fruitfulness in. It's the very thing they had no ability to control. They were faithful. They were going to church every Sunday. They were giving. They were building small groups. They gave themselves over to ministry and to worship. I'm using this parenthetically, please. They, they did everything God called them to do, but they still had not seen the biggest promise of God for their life fulfilled. It is the very deficiency and area of lack that God speaks promises to. It's when your marriage is at the point of no return that God says, I have a plan and a purpose for you. However that turns out, it's not the end of your story. You might already be divorced. I don't know. Your relationship might already be over. I don't know. But that is not the end of the story. That doesn't mean that God hasn't planned and purposed and promised healthy, flourishing marriage and relationship for you. And you know the response in this room? That's Sarah's response. I don't know if it's possible. It's amazing to me that God brings this to them at the point of deficiency. And you know the place. You've been to that place. I live in that place. The place of insecurity. The place of lack. A place 
of pain, a place of deep disappointments, a place of not humility, but humiliation, a place of doubt where it's too late, God. Don't even speak to me about that anymore. And that's the very thing that God continues to promise to you because it's the very thing in the natural you can do nothing about. We tend to respond out of our lack. All we see is the limitation. All the devil brings up into your mind is all the ways that it can't happen, all the ways your ministry can't grow, all the ways your life group can't be healthy, all the ways that you're you're in the wrong field of study, you're in the wrong business, you're in the wrong career, you're married to the wrong person. All we see is limitation and lack and what we can't do. But God brings us the promise in that place. He brings it to us in that season so that our eyes would lift off our lack and see His supply, His sufficiency. Well, I'm preaching hard and it's super quiet. No, no. Don't give me pity, amen. We say it's not possible. We've tried everything. We've suffered too much. We don't have the finances. We don't have the looks. We don't have the personality. We don't, we don't, we don't. But it's an opportunity for us to see God's supply. And that's what I love about Abraham and Sarah. Yes, they had moments of unbelief, but the scriptures will record their amazing faith. And that's why the promise came to pass, because they would believe God. And I love how God responds to Abraham. Well, he's actually responding to Sarah, but through Abraham. And he says, is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Ephesians 3.20 says it this way, that, God is able to do immeasurably more than we ask, think, or imagine according to His power that is at work within us. I love that because it's God reminding us with a lack mentality, what we don't have mentality. He's saying, I can do more than your wildest imagination. You're thinking, I just want my marriage to survive, never mind thrive. And God's thinking your marriage can overflow and be abundant and bless other marriages. You can be an example of God's restoration amongst relationships. Your, your story of ministry can be, hey, I was 70 years old. I gave up that God would use me. It's now time for the younger generation to carry the purposes of God in this generation. And I'm, I'm just going to come and watch. No, God hasn't. He's called you and purposed you for every season of your life. Don't surrender to unbelief because you think you're not there. You're no longer useful. God's got a plan and a purpose where you are right now. How, how about the latter years of your life being the best? years of your life, not because you're sitting on a beach somewhere, but because you're pouring your life out in fruitful ministry, touching the lives of people around you and giving an amazing example of faith for a younger generation to aspire to. Some things that we're going to help us in the time that remains. What can we do? Number one is return to what God has promised you. 
Return to what God has promised you. I find in following Jesus that there's always three or four promises that God always brings to mind. It's the same ones. Now, all the promises of Scripture are for every single believer, but somehow God knows just which promise you need in the season of your life, and it tends to be a repeating theme, at least for me. God always says to me, Swen, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. No, it cannot, nothing in this world can defeat my church. I'm like, God, it's your church. I'll take the pressure off. I'll, I'll stop stressing about that, God. I'll stop stressing about a move to Sunningdale Primary that the church aren't going to find it or they're not going to follow there. They're not going to go there. But God says, I will build my church and everyone I've called to be there will be there. I'm like, cool, God, it's your church. I could get more into that, but I won't. This is not my therapy session. I had that on Friday. Abraham had been made this promise repeatedly by God. In fact, just one chapter earlier, it's there. And so what is the promise of God for your life? Do you know? Do you read the scriptures not looking for a promise, but as you grow in God, does he reveal promises to you? Because if you've got nothing to hold on to, you're walking into the battle tomorrow naked and afraid. But if you're walking in tomorrow with a scripture, a promise, if a promise is all you have, then a promise is all you need. I love it. In, um, it says in Romans 4, verse 19 to 22, talking about Abraham and Sarah, it says, Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was 100 years old. So he acknowledges what is impossible. Like, we've got to get to the point where we go, God, in my strength, that is impossible. But he goes on and says, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he promised. That This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. You've got to hold on to the promise of God. I mean, Abraham was trying to have this battle with unbelief for a hundred years. And we've been waiting like a hundred days for the promise of God. Like there is a promise. You've got to hold on to it because what the enemy is always going to reveal to you is your lack. He's always going to reveal to you, oh, a marriage over there would be better. The grass is greener on the other side. And God says to you, the grass is greener where you water it. Stay faithful. Hold on to the promises of God. Don't waver in unbelief, but be resolute, fully persuaded that God is able to build His church. Yeah, sorry, this is just, it's coming out of me today. And you're just going to have to take it how it's coming. But I love you. I love you. And so I say again, a promise, if a promise is all you have, a promise is all you need. In times of incredible lack, I was talking to somebody earlier already today. It's amazing to me how God speaks to you about giving when you've got no money. He talks about forgiveness when you've got anger. But the promise of forgiveness is that you will be forgiven as well. 
And so promise always comes into an area where we lack and where we're deficient. But we've got to remind ourselves of the promise. That God will never leave me nor forsake me. It's another promise. No matter what you're walking through. And you've got to, you've got to walk to that drumbeat. And keep reminding yourself of the promise of God. Because He will open the doors. Number two is be flexible enough to run with God's plan. Don't get so set on God's, on what, uh, set on the way that God needs to do it for you, but be willing to surrender the way He wants to do it for you. Hey, some of us, not nobody here, but nobody can, none of the control feeds go, God, this is how, we, when we pray to God, we tell God exactly the way it needs to happen. Hey, God, if you could send a raven on the third Tuesday of a month carrying a worm and placing it on my doorstep and accidentally having my child pick it up and bring it to my bedroom, I know that you're in it. <laughs> hey? God, when, with, with my marriage, like, God, c- could you do this in my marriage? Could you bring health marriage where my, where my husband is just so submissive? He's just so understanding. Saturday is for me and not for football or for rugby. Like, God, could you, could you open up where, this, where, where my husband just falls so in love with me, where I just get flowers every single day? Oh. Is that my wife speaking there? Like... Listen, man, just a tip. Don't buy a bunch of flowers. Buy one flower every day. You'll thank me later. But we tell God, God, I'm believing you that you're going to do it this way, that way, and another way. Except God's not going to do it that way. Because His ways are higher than our ways. His plans are better than our plans. God's not a control freak. He just knows which way is going to be better. And so the whole thing is waiting for us to surrender to his agenda, not for us asking him to surrender to our agenda. You will find that you lose that battle every single time. Do you know why? Because we pick the easy way. We pick the way that's of least resistance. Welcome to humanity. How many of us get up early in the morning to go have a spend time with God and to work out? Yeah, but we all know it's important. Why? Because there's an easier way. It's a way of sleeping in later and having a cup of coffee and catching up later, and then we don't. How many Olympic gold medalists have said, I'm so grateful that I took the easy route? Man, I I, I set a world record because it was easy. I am just so gifted. I am a blessing to the sport of running. Well, I should probably work out sometime. No, it's more meaningful because it's so hard. We choose the easy way and God chooses the impossible way. And Abraham was tempted to choose the easy option too. In uh, Genesis 8, 17, 18, one, one chapter prior, he says, God, listen, God, thank you for promising me about Isaac, about a new child. But couldn't you rather just bless the son I already have? Couldn't you bless Ishmael that your, 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 uh, your promises and everything would be upon him? And God's like, yes, I will bless him. But the seed of promise will be through the child you don't yet have. We always want to go the easy route. But there's a truth for us to consider today. And I'm going to end on this point. I'm not going to give you the others, sorry. The truth for us to consider today is that God actually calls us to do difficult things. 
God calls us to do difficult things. He's not called us to do easy things. Because to do easy things, we don't need Him. You can tie your own shoelaces. You don't need to ask God about that. You don't need to ask God about should you brush your teeth, put on some deodorant. Like that's just, you you can do that. You don't need to ask God whether you should make yourself a sandwich or what it should look like. But you do need to ask God about what have I been called to do? What, what, What difficult thing God is before me? And I find you don't, have to, you don't have to look too hard to find hard things to do. The hard thing that you have to do maybe is just, if you want to be a world changer, stay in love and marry to the spouse you agreed to. You will change your family tree. You will. That is one of the hardest things you can do in life. Are there some difficult things that God's called? Live in purity in a culture that values compromise. Be a voice of compassion, love, and truth amongst all sorts of confusion in the world today. Share Christ with a friend. Stand for God when others aren't. Have belief in an age of skepticism. Truth in God's word when the world prefers relative truth. I'm just going to live my truth. Listen. Revival in an anti-God climate. Building God's church when it's more convenient to build your life. These are hard things to do, but God's called you to them. Hold on to the promises of God. It's how how we live by faith. God is glorified. We grow. It's a witness to God's work and it fulfills His agenda. I read this quote from a, a lady that lost her husband in the last 12 months, I think it is. Patricia Kutzia, she says this, Faith makes things possible, not easy. If you think God is in the easy, you'll be bitterly disappointed. God is in the hard. God is into impossible. Because nothing is impossible for God. Jesus said that in Matthew 19. In fact, Jesus says that in in Genesis, is anything too hard for the Lord? And I leave you with this as a promise. When God sows a promise in the area of your lack, it is because He intends it, intends for it to grow there and bear fruit. When God sows a promise in the area of your lack, He fully intends for it to be fruitful. When He sows a promise into your insecurity, He fully plans for you to become secure. When He sows a promise into your lack of finance, He fully intends for that word to grow. Oh, Swain, so you're saying I can get a Lambo? No! You can bear fruit for the kingdom of God and have more than enough for yourself. Do you know why God gives you more? So you can share. Wow. So this morning, I want to give you an opportunity to respond and say, God, remind me of that promise. I believe God's going to remind you of the promise right now. 
when you're going to walk out, you're going to go, right now, you're going to see this is impossible. Marriage, impossible. Business, impossible. Ministry, impossible. Healing, impossible. Health, impossible. But you're going to walk out here and go, nothing is too hard for God. So do you mind to stand to your feet this morning? Let's get some exercise. If you want the other two points, come this evening. I'll give you, yeah, 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 I'll give you the power twins. Anyway, that's all. Just hands to heaven in this moment. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would remind each person here of a promise. Father, the impossible thing is already before them. Whether their child will come back to faith or whatever that is, Father. They don't need reminding of what's impossible. We need reminding of what is possible. When you're at work. And so, Father, I pray that they would not give space to the enemy to put blinders on their faith, to put a lid on their faith, but right now that you would lift the lid of faith in the room and that the fight of faith in conquering unbelief, God, would take place as soon as they take a step out of these doors. They don't need a cheering squad. They don't need a praise team. They need you. We need you, God. And so, Father, right now I pray that you would release the promise of heaven, the Word of God, and what we walk out today is an unwavering belief in your goodness and in your supply. And we are willing to wait a hundred years, God, because you are faithful. In Jesus' name. I want to encourage you right now, just for 30 seconds, just to thank God in your own way for his promise. And that you're not wavering in unbelief, but just thank him already for the thing that he's promised you. Whatever that is, just thank him. Thank him. Just say thank you. It's a form of worship. It's a form of praise. And lastly, if you're here, every eye closed and head bowed. If you're still praying and seeking God, do that. But if you've come today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I want to give you an invitation to receive Him into your heart today. Because the Bible teaches that we all fall short of the glory of God. Every single person, me the most. But Jesus loves you so much that He came into the world not to condemn you or to criticize you, but to save you. The way that He saves you is by He died on a cross so that He would take the punishment of your and my sin. So that what He would give us instead is forgiveness and freedom and life everlasting. And if that sounds good to you and that's something that you want and desire and need, your heart is beating. You say, now's an opportunity for me to make right with God. You can live in a right relationship with God. Not perfect, but a right relationship with God and have eternal life because God loves you so much. And if that's you today, on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand really high. And I, we're not going to call you out, but our team are going to drop some information discreetly um, into your hand. And we'll all pray together. So if that's you, I want to invite you in a prayer. On the count of three. One, two, 
three, just raise your hand where you are at. Praise God, that's wonderful. That's one person I've seen so far. Anybody else? Leave the lights on. Let's see, let's see. Everybody eyes closed. Just give another opportunity. Is there anybody else today that wants to put their faith in Christ and receive Him as their Lord and Savior? Just one more moment. Awesome, church. Would you give God a great praise with a clap? You know what it says, that when you make a decision to follow Jesus, all of heaven erupts with praise. I love that. That, make, that makes me excited for church, that every Sunday there's praise parties happening. Anyway, let's pray together. And if you, if you accepted Christ as your Lord, pray this, this prayer is specifically for you, but we're all going to pray to help you. Dear God, I'm sorry for my sin, but thank you for Jesus. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, takes away my sins. And so come live in my heart and help me to follow you all the days of my life. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Come on. Wow, wasn't that just a powerful message from our lead pastor today? And really our prayer for you is that you wouldn't just hear this message, but that you would apply it as well. Again, we want to refer you to our website if you would like to take a next step with us. If you gave your life to Jesus today, we've got a resource on our website called Following Jesus. And that will just give you the basics of what it means to follow Jesus and how you can walk with Him. Um, but we'll see you same time, same place next week.